Hello, and welcome to the Good Leadership Podcast. I'm Paul Botts, CEO and founder of Good Leadership and co-host on this podcast with my colleague, Kevin. Hello, I'm Kevin Sensnick, the Chief Learning Officer with Good Leadership and the founder of Interaction Dynamics Group, the Mid-Atlantic Partner for Good Leadership. So it's been a whirlwind summer, Paul, and how are things going in the world for you today? Well, we're heading right into Labor Day, and you know how that goes. Some things are slowing way down, and then other things are really speeding up. So how are you doing, Kevin? Well, about the same. You know, this end of summer, early fall time is our transition around the school year. As my youngest two, one going back to college, one going into high school now, are making their last summer activities wind up and getting ready for the new school year. So that always kind of dictates our uh, Labor Day time frame as we think about that from our family standpoint. Well, you know that I had an extended vacation, and so my summer's been cut really, really short. And I, I went to uh, my first and last St. Paul Saints baseball game. Um, even though I have a full set of season tickets, it, it just life gets in the way, and uh, I, I really enjoyed that one game. <laughs> well, that's great to hear. Actually, my youngest son and I have had a tradition of going to a Pittsburgh Pirates-Philadelphia Phillies game every year, and we missed it the last two years, obviously, with things happening in the world, but we got back on track this summer. We had a great time and enjoyed that together, and uh, it was a fun day. So I can only imagine what you experienced in the, at, the Saint, at the Saints game as well. So way to go. There's no substitute for father-son time, so congratulations. Yeah, that was great. Thank you. So, well, that kind of leads into our topic for today, which is, again, this idea of how goodness pays and really the mission of good leadership. So I'm really excited to talk about this concept with you today. And before we kind of dive into how goodness does pay, Paul, can you maybe spend a few minutes talking about talking with us about where this idea of goodness pays has come from? Well, I wrote a book with a guy named Paul Hillen. And he put this mantra into my head that says, without data, you're just a person with another opinion. (laughs) And so we've been talking about this idea of goodness and that goodness pays. And um, I had two conversations before I wrote the book with Paul Hill and that started this whole thing. One was with Richard David, who at the time was CEO of U.S. Bank. And the other was Paul Hillen's boss, uh, Greg Page at Cargill. And they both told me that they loved this idea. They believed that goodness pays. But until I could articulate what does it mean and how does it pay, um, Mm. they were basically discounting us. And so Mm -hmm. that was important because our mission is to spread goodness because we've proven goodness pays. And it's the proven part that's the most powerful. And we didn't always have that data to stake the claim. So how, how did you begin to create that sense of the data and the structure around the concept that really formed the element of the book and clarified that statement in their mind? So um, I've been speaking on this topic for many, many years. And when uh, cell phones developed the ability to do audience response research, mm-hmm. we started asking people the question, do you believe goodness pays? And we learned that four out of five leaders believe goodness pays. But then we asked a follow-up question. And that follow-up question was, how happy are you with the consistency of your financial results over three years? And only two out of five said they were consistent Mm. and consistently happy. So the conclusion we came to was that most leaders believe goodness pays and also half of those people don't know how to make it pay. So with the help of a research consultant, we interviewed large company CEOs, medium and small company CEOs, particularly those who we could track their financial results to very high performance. Mm -hmm. And 
We substantiated what they told us in interviews with a quantitative survey of 900 leaders. And that really allowed us to zero in on what, how did people think about goodness for a definition? And then what were the things that they did that differentiated them from the people who just had mediocre results? So, right. so that's how we went about that. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the most interesting things that I found in the book is that distinction you made between superhero leadership and bag of hammers leadership. And I kind of view those two things on a continuum, uh, kind of two ends of a continuum. Both have a negative output or a negative result to the team, but they come across very differently to the team. And so that superhero piece that you talked about, I think you found in the research, are those who try to kind of swoop in, solve all the problems, remove all the barriers, be that wonderful leader is going to you know just make everything wonderful for their team. But in the process, they take away that space for the team to learn and grow and succeed. Versus the other end of that continuum, that is bag of hammer leaders who come in, it has to be their way. They want to be the smartest person in the room, drive all the answers, and get the result that they desire. Again, though, the result is they take away that space for people to learn and grow. And so I think that that was a really distinct element you found in the research that really stood out to me as that with the best of intentions, leaders are trying to do good things, but they can swing from one extreme of the continuum to the other end of the continuum if they're not careful and take away that space for people to grow and develop. And so I think that's an element of where this idea of goodness pays comes in is how do we as leaders not swing so far to one side or the other, but find that way to bring the best out of the team, provide the space for learning and growth, and still help people achieve great results, which I think I heard in your research conversation there. Yeah, so the centerpiece of what is goodness, it's when people thrive together. And so also in a culture of encouragement, accountability, and positive teamwork. And so those two leadership styles you talked about, superhero and bag of hammers, we all know that leadership is situational. There are certain times where a crisis comes up or there's something that's extremely difficult and needs to be dealt with swiftly where that superhero style can work. And even the bag of hammers style can work, but they're very small moments in time. Yeah. And then yeah. when it's over, people want to feel invested in, they want to feel collaborative, they want encouragement, positive teamwork that goes along with the accountability. And I, I think that was probably the most important thing that we uncovered was that definition of goodness. And then specifically, we learned out what are the you know five goodness pays factors that leaders do on a regular basis that helps make it pay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So before we kind of get into the factors, as you kind of share that focus and desire as leaders, it sounds like good common sense. If I find a way to blend that in and not swing too far to one extreme or the other, I can have those engaged results with my team. But if it's such common sense, then why do you think so many leaders shy away from the idea of goodness in their leadership? Well, the easiest way to explain that is that goodness is kind of a churchy word. Mm. I mean, people were kind of skittish about it a little bit in the fact that, you know, they didn't want to be perceived as bringing religion into their leadership. Some others were thinking, well, goodness must mean weak, like I'll get run over by people or soft. And, mm. you know, those are not words that leaders use very often you know, weak, churchy, and soft. But what we're learning is that to lead with goodness is to be straight with people. It's to involve them. It's to engage them. It's to have a really healthy spirit of accountability. We've talked about healthy tension before. And those things are not easy. 
It's actually hard to lead with goodness, but when you master it, the returns come back in so many different ways. So I think that's where, from a how good is pays standpoint, you added real value to this conversation in the book where you laid out the five factors of goodness. And I think it speaks to what you just mentioned. It takes us away from a feel-good concept into a reality and an actionable concept. And so I'll just, let me just kind of re, revisit those just briefly, and then maybe you can comment about the five factors a little bit, Paul. The first one you talked about is having compelling a compelling business plan. So an opportunity for the team to give input to the plan, they see themselves in the plan, and they feel the plan is good for customers. So mm-hmm. when I can see those elements, I feel the plan is compelling. The second factor is the idea that profits are healthy for all. And so it's not that we're just doing things for a few people at the top or a few investors outside of the organization, but we all benefit financially when we do well and win together as a team. The third is the team-based culture. Again, that desire the team not only wants to win together, but they're willing to work together to win. And then third is that timely and transparent decision-making, the idea that it's important to explain how decisions will be made, when they will be made, who will make the decision, and most importantly, why those who get to decide get to decide. And then the fifth factor is the magnetic ethics, that sense that leaders are doing the right things at the right time for the right reasons, and those things link together very well. So kind of hearing that recap of those five factors, you know, how do you see those really playing out to bringing goodness and making goodness practical as a leader? Yeah, nice summary. I, it's kind of fun for me to hear it back through through your voice. Um, I, I think it's easiest to focus on the two bookends. The first thing is a compelling business plan. You and I have been coaching teams for many, many years. And if there is not a compelling business plan, the chances for having healthy financial results is almost nothing. And so it starts there. Right. The other end of the bookend is magnetic ethics. You can do the other four things really well. But if your ethics are questionable... That means people are wondering about your sincerity and they can't really trust that you're going to make the right decision. And they also can't trust that you're attracting the best talent into the organization. Mm -hmm. So if we step back and we think about it, each one of these things, a compelling business plan, belief that profits are healthy for all, team-based culture, timely and transparent decision-makings and magnetic ethics, they all play into the definition. Goodness is when people thrive together in a culture of encouragement, accountability, and positive teamwork. And I tell you, my life as a coach and a consultant has gotten so much better and easier, and I'm much more effective when we follow this model. Mm -hmm. Well, and for our continual listeners, they might be hearing some similar reflection of what we've talked about as a team momentum model we've talked about Mm -hmm. previously. Mm -hmm. And I think the key thing to recognize is there's a lot of overlap in these concepts. When we lead with goodness and we build teams that thrive together, that goodness is baked into the team thriving and working together, building and sustaining that momentum. So there should be a lot of overlap in these concepts of how I lead and how my team engages and interacts around that leadership. Yeah. And what I love about this is when you explain it that way, it's not so fluffy anymore. We can ask very specific questions to say, is this alive in your culture or not? Yes or no? And that really uh, makes it easier to coach and and more importantly, to get better business results. Yeah, so I think that's a really nice lead-in to think about how does this play out in an organization. And so I'd like to share a little bit, Paul, of a client I've been working with for some time and how they've really embraced these elements of goodness and brought that into their sense of leadership to give more definition and focus to that. 
Uh, and it's an organization that has always embraced the concept of servant leadership. The challenge that I heard as I talked to some new leaders coming into the organization was, I like the idea of servant leadership. I just don't know how to do that within this culture, and with this envir- environment every single day. They were searching for, as you just said, those tangible parts, not just the fluffy part. And I thought that was really critical for them to be able to articulate that difficulty and then to understand they need a framework within which to function as a leader. That's where I think goodness pays really comes out effectively as leaders when people can use as a framework to be others focused in their leadership. In other words, thinking about how they're leading from the other person's perspective, not just from their own perspective. Well, in my experience, the concept of servant leadership has been kind of a Mm catch-all for anything other than command and control. But there is a very specific model there too. So I'm really curious to find out what you did to kind of help them get beyond that very ambiguous definition. Yeah. So I think if you think about the five factors we just discussed, I think each of them plays into that transition they had to work themselves through. So you go back to the idea of starting with the compelling business plan. That seems like such a critical element every leader would want to have in place. And yet when we tend to lean towards that servant leadership idea, there's a kind of an assumption in there that that humanistic side takes over. They'll like me so much because I'm serving them, they'll just naturally follow what I lay out to do. And that this organization had to really wrestle through that and say, it's not enough to hope people follow us. We have to create a plan that they've given input to, they're excited about, and it's really moving us forward from a result standpoint that then people will engage. And so that first starting point with the compelling plan was critical for them to get their head around to even change that thinking from a fluffy servant leadership concept into a practical application of goodness. So instead of, I'm going to do this for you, I'm going to engage and involve you in building the plan. Okay, that makes sense to me. Yeah. And then that moves right into the belief that profits are healthy for all. Uh, This organization has that belief kind of baked into the element because they are an employee-owned organization. But what they had to really work on shifting was the idea that I'm an employee who has ownership to I'm an owner of the organization. And as you know, as a founder of a company, Paul, when you step into the mindset of owner, it's different than I'm an employee who feels like an owner. Mm -hmm. And so when they were able to make that shift begin to happen, they saw people embrace the ideas, the plan, the direction more fully and take personal responsibility to drive things because they viewed it from an owner standpoint, not an employee standpoint. Well said. I like it. Yeah. And then the third part about the team-based culture, this was an organization always believed in the power of teams and working as teams. The challenge that happens over time is any organization grows and they grew over a few years very rapidly to about 750 employees. In that time frame, they began to almost build silos and so many processes to run teams, they lost sight of that interconnectivity. Mm -hmm. So when they could shed the idea, it's the process that's driving the team and just focus on the team working together as a team, it helped them shift that to a true team-based culture, not a process culture that used teams to get the results. And that sounds the same, but it really is very different how it plays out for individuals, for team champions, for projects, and for speed of getting things done. Okay, makes sense. And that actually ties to timely and transparent decision-making because there needs you need to have processes there. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that was probably the biggest challenge I had to work through. The idea that if I just go along long enough, the, the decision will magically appear. And so they had to challenge themselves to actually dig in and get deeper into 
making some of the tough decisions earlier and not just hoping that the decision would magically appear as they went along. And I think actually going through the pandemic helped the leadership team rally around that concept because it was a pressing issue. They had to step forward. They had to to make decisions and lead. And everyone didn't agree with all the decisions that they made, but everyone began to believe they were making the decisions for the right reason. And they believed in why those who were making the decisions were making those decisions. And so it really changed the mindset of decision-making in the organization. So it sounds to me like the timely part was the hard hard part for these people. The timeliness and the decisiveness. Almost like I don't, I'd rather you came up with a good answer I could agree with rather than making a decision as a leader. And so again, go back to that servant mindset. I want to serve you, so I want you to get to to the decision. Rather than saying, here's the decision I'm going to give you, and here's the parameters within which you have the right to make additional decisions. Mm -hmm. Critical element in transition. And then that last part of magnetic ethics, I think, is so important. This is an organization that grew globally, and they had to recognize that how people around the world view ethics is very different. So they had to be intentional about establishing This is what we mean by and believe is ethical behavior and not ethical behavior. And this is what we will accept and support. And this is what we will not accept and support. And again, that sounds so straightforward. But as you grow kind of organically, sometimes you assume that's going to follow. And they had to make the intentional decision to make it happen. So those five factors really began to change their thinking about their leadership. So, you know, I've talked about this story before. Uh, It was probably easier to transition their mindset over to a goodness culture that had things that we know were important and research-based, and they can still keep their servant leadership culture alive. But what now we're expecting specific things from leaders and good leaders. Yeah. And so as they embrace those the factors, what they had to do as a leadership team was recognize now they have to spread that through the organization. And so they've begun to embed these goodness concepts as they develop and coach mid-level and and high potential leaders. And one of their high potential leaders just recently said in a conversation with the leadership team, it's nice to actually have some practical application for these ideas we've talked about in being servant leaders. There's something I can now tangibly feel like I'm doing with my team that is serving them, being others focused, but getting results that we need to get. So it's really been a nice way of blending that together and driving that concept forward. So the listeners of this podcast know that we always drive this towards success habits, a structural and a relational success habit so, to help make the learning come alive. So talk to me a little bit about what you think those success habits were. Yeah, I believe from a structural standpoint, the structural success habit is really to use the five goodness pays factors to give you the structure to build plans, to solve problems, and to seek accountability together. And the relational success habit is then to use the open conversations to rally around shared goals, shared commitments, and that desire to win together. Okay, so let me say that back. Structurally, you're deliberate in making sure that you get the right people involved in planning and problem solving so that they naturally hold each other to a higher level of accountability. Right. And for the relational success habit... Because people were involved in planning and problem solving, they can have more intense personal conversations to keep the desired culture and leadership based on the five goodness pays factors, to keep that alive rather than this ambiguous definition of servant leadership. Right. I think what we see as a result of that is that people begin now to recognize that people care about them personally and professionally. They feel they're growing both personally and professionally by being on the team. 
and they feel they're contributing both personally and professionally to the growth of the team and the organization. So that plays right into those two key elements of the success habits. So anytime we talk about goodness, I go back to the definition. A goodness conversation is fundamentally about people thriving together. And while a superhero type of leadership where you swoop in, make decisions, do things for other people, works in a small amount of the time, no one's really winning in that equation except for the superhero leader. Same thing with a bag of hammers. Bag of hammers is very decisive, blunt. You always know exactly where you stand, uh, but it often leaves behind hurt feelings and people who are not engaged in the organization. Sometimes that works in a crisis. But if you really own Thrive Together, you're going to get people involved in the planning. Everyone will profit from the success of the organization, et cetera, et cetera, thriving together. That's the key concept when, if you're interested in building a goodness culture um, in your organization. Now, we've come to the end of another one of our podcasts, and we just love keeping this conversation going about leadership and teams and coaching teams. Yeah, so we hope you enjoyed today's episode. And as always, we'd like to hear from you, whether you have thoughts about goodness or the five goodness pays factors, or you want to hear us talk about something specific in a future podcast. So please reach out to us at info at goodleadership.com. That's I-N-F-O at goodleadership.com. Until next time, remember, good leadership is a team sport, and it's our intention to help you build the team that helps you build your dreams. Make it a great day.